0: All right, well, good morning, how's everybody? Good, I'm excited about 9 and 10.30, right? There we go. Man, I'm excited to be here with you this morning and getting to share here. If you have a Bible or on your phone or app, turn to Habakkuk chapter three or pull up Habakkuk chapter three. We're gonna be wrapping up our series in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk this morning. And so uh, Daryl and Gabe, two of our elders, did an incredible job uh, with chapter one and two, and I hope this morning too. Uh, just be able to share some things that will be beneficial to us and encouraging and maybe challenging um, a little bit. Well, you know, if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, one of the things that uh, is kind of been a theme of Habakkuk is this idea of questions. And you don't have to live in this world for very long without questions coming to your mind, right? And, And it's just general questions, questions like, Why would anybody in their right mind live in Houston in the summer? You know what I mean? I mean, you know, simple questions like that, you know, just, you know, things are, but then also like more serious questions like, Hey, why did that happen the way it happened? Or, or why did that not happen the way that it could have gone? Or, Or, or why is the world the way the world is? Why is there so much suffering or, or maybe in your own life, why am I going through what I'm going through? And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not today, the the reality is, is we come to points in life where those types of questions just become our reality. And and, and what happens in those moments is, if you are a follower of Jesus, is oftentimes you begin to take what you know about God, what you've been taught about God, and you you line those up with what's happening around you. And there are times where, if we're honest, that, that doesn't always seem to line up correctly. But there are times when there are just things in life that don't seem to make sense. It just doesn't seem to to, to really make sense why God did this or why God didn't do that. And if you ever feel alone in those moments, you don't have to be alone because we all struggle with that. We're either struggling with it now, we've struggled with it in the past, or there will come a time in our life where we begin to ask questions like that. And I know it's not unique to me, it's not unique to you, it's, it's really something that's universal to all of us, and, and it's not even in today's society that's only unique. We've been looking at, at a man named Habakkuk who was asking some of those same questions in his context. You know, why was God doing what God was doing? Or really, specifically, why was God not doing what Habakkuk thought God should be doing. And so just kind of catch you up, Habakkuk was a prophet in the nation of Judah. So the people of God in Judah were living in open rebellion against God. And Habakkuk, one who was trying to live for God, looked at that and said, okay, God, your people are making a mockery of you and your ways. Why are you letting them do that? Why is there hardship for those who are pursuing after you? Why does it seem like there's no consequence for those who are just doing whatever they want to do? And so he takes his complaint to God, and he does really complain. He complains to God and says, God, how long are you going to let this go? And God responds with an answer. God's answer is that, that I'm not going to let it go forever. I'm actually going to bring Babylon, this even more pagan nation, to come and be the hands and feet of my judgment against my people, to which Habakkuk goes, well, hold on a minute. That's not what I wanted to have happen. You know, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's your answer, but that's, that's not the answer I was expecting. And so he then begins to ask God again. And, and as we come to chapter 2, you know, what we, at the end of chapter 2, we realized was he, he came to this point where he was like, I, I need to wait on God and choose to trust. And so what's interesting, though, in chapter 3 is you, you have really a song. So you have these two first chapters that are more narrative in nature, and then you get to basically a poem In chapter 3. But what that poem illustrates is it illustrates where Habakkuk has gone from complaints to confidence, from questions to trust. And what I want to look at this morning is how did he get there? What was it that took Habakkuk from questioning God and complaining to God to, as we're going to read here in a minute, coming to a point of saying, I will rejoice even though none of the situation had changed. But something had changed inside his heart. And here's my hope is that as, as we look at Habakkuk's life, we can look at that and go, okay, well, if that's how God worked in his life, maybe that's how God wants to work in my life when I face the same types of questions and situations. So if you'll stay with me, we're going to read Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. So we're going to go to the end of the chapter and then go back to the beginning and work our way back to the end. Um, and it may seem like, why are we doing that? But uh, hopefully it'll make sense. Because I want to show you where Habakkuk ends and then go back and look at why he got and how he got to that place. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers he makes me tread on my high places. You have seen it. So Habakkuk begins in chapter 1 saying how long lord what are you doing why are you doing this the way you're doing it why don't I understand to the very end of Habakkuk where he says basically this that I will take joy in the circumstances. And what's interesting is as like I kind of said before the circumstances really hadn't changed. The people of Judah were still rebellious. God was still going to send Babylon as the, 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 the means of his judgment. But something changed within Habakkuk that I think we can learn from today. And so let's walk through chapter 3 quickly this morning and just pull out a couple of things that I think would be really beneficial to me and to you in these moments. So like I said, Habakkuk chapter 3 is a song. So it's a singing response, a, a poet, poetic response to God based on what God has done in his life through this time. So look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. We believe it's a song because it says this, a prayer or psalm of Habakkuk the prophet according according to Shigenot. Now you're like, okay, hey, well, who's Shigenot? Like, what is Shigenot? Well, the best we can understand, even if that's how you pronounce it, is that it's a musical notation. So it's like, here's the tune this prayer goes to. So what that shares with us is this, is that in in the early church or in really Judaism at this time, that this became part of what the church and the people of God would would gather together and recite in in, in reminding themselves of the lessons that Habakkuk learned. And so he he begins with this idea and Habakkuk gives a request to God. So where he asked a question, now he's asking something of God again. Look at verse 2. He says, "O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. So he begins with a, a, a request of God. He says, God, listen, I, I know who you are. In essence, I've heard about the things that you have done. What I'm asking you in this situation is to be the same God you have always been. And to choose to do and act in the same way you've always done things and acted. It's, it's like this, it's Habakkuk, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the things he, he doesn't know, goes back to what he does know. I can not tell you so many times in my life that idea has been, has been helpful. When I, when I faced a situation or I faced a reality where I had more questions than answers, and I honestly just didn't know, I didn't know why God was doing what he was doing. I didn't know why things were the way that they were. In those moments where I didn't know, what was helpful to me was to go back to what I did know, to go back to what I could know. And Habakkuk's name actually means this, is one who clings to or one who embraces. His name is basically what he's doing here. In the midst of still uncertainty, questions, you know, a lack of clarity, how it's all going to go. Habakkuk says, okay, I can't worry about that. What I've got to worry about and what I can focus on is to go back to what I know about who God is and how God has worked. And so he begins to do that. And throughout the rest of the chapter, we see he begins to recount different ways that God has worked in the people's lives in the past. He begins to recount the, the, the nature of God and who God has been all along. And then his request is that God would be and do exactly what, who he's, what he's done in the past. And so he moves from this place of, of questions to trust, this place of, uh, of confusion to, to confidence. And, and he finds himself here saying, okay, I still don't know exactly how, how all this is gonna work out. But what I can cling to is what I know about who God is and what God has done. And he begins to talk about the reasons for his trust. And really, I was doing some study, and uh, there was a book called Talk Through the Bible, which is it's a really helpful kind of resource that I, I come to oftentimes, is just to try to get an idea of how, how all this like fits together, right? And the authors, Bruce Wilkinson and Kenneth Boa really talked about this next section in, in really three different ways. And they, they, said, they said it this way, that, Habakkuk, in thinking back to who God is, who God was, who God will always be, and what God has done in the past, really found trust and confidence in three things. In three things. I want to walk through those with you. He found trust in the person of God, the power of God, and the plans of God. And he outlines those things in these next several verses. Let's look at the first one, the person of God, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 5, or sorry, 3, verse 3. He says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, Rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Now you read that and you're like, okay, that's like, I don't, I'm, what, is, what is he saying? Well, remember, he's speaking poetically. He's speaking artistically. He's not, you know, thinking in the ways of, okay, let me just walk through five bullet points of who God is and his character, right? And all the engineers in the room are like, well, why not? Because that would make a lot of sense, right? I agree. He, but he, he does it in more of a poetic way. And so here's kind of what he's saying about God. He's painting a picture with imagery Uh, of of the the character and the nature of who God is and how God has revealed himself to the Israelite people and the Hebrew people all throughout history. And so he begins really with this idea of, uh, of this kind of manifestation of God, going back to like Mount Sinai where God revealed himself physically. It's this idea called a theophany where there's an appearance or a manifestation in a physical way of the character and nature of God. And and the whole point of it is this, is is really he wants to show that, that God is unlike any other, that God is majestic, that his character and his nature is perfect. And so in the confusion of the day, he looks back to the person of God, and he looks at how God has revealed himself. And throughout this, this chapter, what we see is he, he keeps going back to this imagery and, uh, and, and these times of God's deliverance through the, the book of Exodus and, and Deuteronomy and how he, God took the people from slavery in Egypt and walked them through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. And, and all the ways that God revealed himself to them and the nature of God was revealed throughout all these times. And so the readers would have grabbed some of this imagery maybe a little easier than we have or we can, but, but here's some of the things he's, he's really looking at. When he uses the, this idea that God came from Teiman and He's the holy one of Mount Perrin. There's really a couple things. Those two locations are are, are really in in the the midst of the the area geographically where God brought the people out of slavery and into the wilderness and into the promised land. But but also that that this idea that Teman is is in the east and God is like the sun who rises in the east and then Mount Perrin is in the west and talks about like his glory and splendor moving from the east to the west. Kind of this sun imagery, that God's glory is like the sun, where it shines on everything and everyone, that God is majestic, God is beautiful, God is powerful. But this same God, the one who is light, who is glorious, who is from eternity, is the, is, is the God who's in charge of his situation now. And that God never changes in this. In Psalm 102, 25 through 27, the psalmist writes, Writes this, he says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe. They will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Habakkuk's saying, Listen, God is majestic, he is marvelous, he is powerful, he's the one who has revealed himself personally to us, his people. That's his character, that's his nature. And that character and nature is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I can trust in the person of God, even though the circumstances are different. Malachi, another prophet, says this in in speaking for God. He says, the Lord says, for I, the Lord, do not change. That when we see who God was in Scripture, we see who God was in, in his relationship who God was in the person of Jesus, that is who God still is. And so Habakkuk looks back to the person of God and we too can look back to the person of God, to who he is. And not only that, but to what he has done. So Habakkuk says, God, I've heard about you, your person. Be God today in my situation." He takes trust and confidence in the person, the character, and the nature of God. Second thing we see is this, is that Habakkuk also puts his trust in the power of God. He puts his trust in the power of God. Again, we see this poetic language, these metaphors kind of drawn from many different passages and stories throughout the Old Testament of how God was working in and through the life of his people. But the the, the big idea throughout it all is that God is all-powerful. And Habakkuk is saying, God, you are all powerful, and I could trust you yesterday, and I can trust you today. That those circumstances don't change. Your power is unchanging. As you walk through, you know, he, he kind of poetically shares some very specific ways that God has expressed his power. One is we see that God has power over the natural world, over creation itself. Look at verse 8 through 12. He says, "'Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord?' Was your anger against the rivers of your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses of your chariot of salvation? Some <laughs> of you guys are like, man, I just speak English. Right? What is he saying? He's saying that, that basically, listen, that that God's power is even power over creation. It's over the sea. It's over the rivers. He goes on to talk about it. He says, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers, going back to the actual creation. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. Kind of, kind of you know, Psalm, psalmist-type language of the heavens declaring the glory of God, the, the power of God being seen throughout creation. Verse 11, he says, the sun and the moon stood still in their place, At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury, you threshed the nations in anger. We see this idea that God is powerful over creation. He's not so much giving specific examples, but he's, he's reflecting back on the work of God. How God parted the Red Sea, how God parted the Jordan River, how God sent plagues upon the nation of Egypt. God sent a storm when Jonah was escaping. But in verse 11, he does give a very specific example that says this, the sun and the moon stood still in their place. Well, he's referring to a story and an account in the book of Joshua, chapter 10. Joshua and the the, the Hebrew people were, were fighting against the Amorites, and they, they had an uphill battle to climb, and, and they were beginning to, to find victory, but the, the day was, was, was getting long, right? And so, you know, they, they needed the, the sun, basically, and the light to continue so their momentum would not be lost when they would have to stop fighting because of darkness. So Joshua 10, 12 through 14, it really shares how God worked and, and revealed his power over creation. It says this, at that time... Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ihalan. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. He says, he goes back and says, listen, God is so powerful that he even held the sun and the moon in the sky to provide more time for Joshua to be victorious. It says, we have trust in a God who is powerful over all creation. We also see, he talks about that God be, is powerful to rescue his people. We see God as this divine warrior on behalf of, of, of those who are his we go back at 3.13, it says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. He hearkens back to the Exodus story, how God delivered them from Egypt and God brought them into the promised land and established their nation. We want to see that he has the power to defeat his enemies. Verse 14, you pierced with his own arrows, the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Again, we see Habakkuk hearkening back to what God had done in the past. There there are stories and accounts where God's people were fighting against an enemy, and, and God brought them victory without really even having to do anything. He caused the enemy to become confused and become chaotic, and they begin to turn on themselves. And and basically, they were fighting themselves, and God's people said, well, let's just join in and fight against them too. There's all these different stories of how God worked, and God had power, power over creation, power to rescue his people, power to defeat his enemies. And, and, And so Habakkuk is calling back to that is a reminder to say, listen, the same God who did all of that is the God who is in charge today. The same God who did all of that is the one that said, yes, I'm going to use Babylon to bring my judgment, but then I will judge the people of Babylon. The ultimate victory will still be for the Lord and those who follow him. it goes back to that again. It reminds us that though we may not be facing an enemy like Babylon as God's people, if you're a follower of Jesus, though that may not kind of be our reality, that we too have victory. We have victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the, the, the craziness of this world, that there's a day coming where we will be delivered, where we will have victory. And we experience that in some ways here and now, but we'll experience that in completion at the end of all things. Look at John 16, on the screen. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So Jesus is not, you know, saying, listen, you're going to have always an easy life, that you're never going to have any trouble, you're never going to have any struggle, you're never going to have any challenge. He's saying, listen, that in this world you will face times of tribulation. But he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That the same God who was victorious Is the same God who is still victorious. And we have trust and confidence in that today. Colossians 1 13 through 14, Paul writes this that that he, talking about Jesus has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. That the most, the most, the most incredible victory that we need more than anything else is to, be, to, to have victory over sin and, and death and the consequences of our own rebellion and sinfulness. And, and that Jesus has done that through faith in him. The victory is still ours as the people of God. So Habakkuk refers and goes back to the person of God, the power of God, but then he also rests in the plans of God. Look at verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my body, my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk says, listen, I hear all this stuff about God and his power and I tremble. There is a right and appropriate reverence, awe, and fear of the power of God. That God is judge. That God will judge the world. That the consequence of sin is a real reality for every single person, every single one of us. And we should fear and tremble at the judgment of God that he has promised, but we should also rejoice in the victory of God that he promised through Jesus Christ, his son. But Habakkuk hears all that, he's remembering all this, and he's he's struck by the power of God and the the person of God, and and he's struck by that in, in, in a way that makes him tremble, and he looks at what lies before him, that there will be this time of judgment to come upon the people. And there will be difficulty, there will be hardship. He he goes on to talk about as we the verses we read earlier that listen, that there's gonna be famine, there's gonna be hard times coming. But yet all of that remains. But he says this, but I will quietly wait. What does it mean to quietly wait? Yeah, you know, I, I go back to this like as a as a parent having to wait in line with your kids or having to wait for something. You're like, would you please just be quiet and wait, right? But they're like, how long is it going to be? Why do they get to go first? What's happening? And then they begin to question like, like you know, the how and the why of waiting. And I think that's, that's where for me, you know, okay, we, let's trust in the person of God. Let's trust in the power of God. But then trusting in the plans of God, that's where like the rubber meets the road oftentimes, Because that involves trusting in the when and the how. You know, Habakkuk was waiting quietly. He knew what God was going to do, but he still had to wait. Because trusting in the plans of God is trusting in how God will fulfill his plan, but it's also trusting in the timing of that. And often, if I'm honest with you, God's plan and how doesn't always match up to how I would have thought it would have been done. And even more so, God's timing doesn't always match up to when I think something should happen. But part of trusting in his plans is trusting in the when and the how. Believing that his plans are perfect. Look at Psalm 8030 on the screen. The psalmist writes, this God, his way is perfect. That means the how, the when, all of it. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Isaiah 40, 28 says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable, meaning this, that God's plans, though they're not always like ours, are really the plans that we need to wait on because they are the only plans that are perfect. And Habakkuk says, I will quietly wait. You know, a verse that's come up a lot in just conversation and in my life personally is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's that's like my life verse that was given to me. And it was the life verse given to my middle daughter, Piper, who just graduated. And so, at, you know, graduation night and banquets and cards and all this stuff, this verse just like keeps coming up as we keep reminding her of this. And every time I'm like, okay, I'm reminding her, but God's reminding me. His plans are perfect. The how and the when, he's got that. so Habakkuk said, I will quietly Wait. The Habakkuk requests of God, God, listen, I I remember you. I remember the person of who you are. I remember the power that you have. I remember that your plans are perfect. And so do all of those things in this situation as only you can. And because of that, we get the response that we read at the very beginning of our time this morning. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. It says that the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no, no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, He makes me tread on high places. Then it ends with a musical note to the choir master with stringed instruments. Because the intent was this to be something that would be not just a reminder to Habakkuk, but a reminder to all of us that God, in moments where we have questions, in moments where we have doubts, in moments where plans don't match up with our plans or situations don't play themselves out the way that we think they should be played out, that Habakkuk reminds us that in that, when we trust, we can still have joy. His response to all this says, I will rejoice. Well, how do you rejoice when nothing has changed? The circumstances are still the circumstances. The hardship is still the hardship. We can rejoice when we trust in God. Because we know that his Person is the same as it always has been. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is true. We know that his power is still the most powerful thing in all of the world. That victory is ours in Jesus Christ, regardless of whether we face and experience some of that victory here or ultimately one day, the victory we come comes in eternity. And we can trust in the plans of God. So how does Habakkuk go from how long, Lord, to I will rejoice? He reminded himself of the God that he trusted in. And he chose to trust again. So what does that mean for us? You know, the reality is, is that we all either will, are, or, or have faced situations like Habakkuk. Not that there was a nation that God was going to send to punish us because of our sin, but but there was a situation where we looked at what was going on and we said, I don't see how this matches up with the God that that I I believe in or why this situation is is playing out the way it's playing out. So maybe today what we need to, to do is we need to be reminded of the person of God the power of God, the plans of God, who God is in our life, who he's been in our life, and who he'll always be in our life. The times his power was exhibited in and through our life and that he has that same power today, the times that we asked about why and how and when, and God did in his timing the why, how, and when. And take confidence and trust in that. See, in God and joy in God is ultimately not based on circumstances. It's based on who God is and what he's done. So maybe this morning you need to, for the very first time, as Pastor Brian was talking about earlier, put your faith and trust in God through Jesus. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except by him. What that means is if we want to follow God, if we want to know God, if we want to be forgiven of our sin, then we come through faith in Jesus Christ. That we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says if we do that, we will be saved. And it may mean that you need to come and just pray before God because you need him to remind you of who he is and what he's done. It could be that you need to commit to reading his word on a regular basis because this is how often we are reminded of who God is and what he has done. Or maybe this morning you just need to bring a request to God. Saying, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know when you're going to do it. But will you be God in this situation as you've always been? You know, Daryl reminded us on week one that God's okay with our questions. It's okay with our complaints. Gabe reminded us last week that, that God's okay with our questions, but we need to ask ourselves the question, are we ready to listen to the answer? And we're reminded today that we can have faith and hope and joy in difficult circumstances because of a God we can trust in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word for Habakkuk, We thank you for this song of just reminding of challenge and encouragement. And God, I pray today that as we just respond in these next moments together, that you would help us respond however, God, we need to, God, based on our our circumstances. Could be, God, that we need to put our faith and trust in your son Jesus for the very first time. That that is where we find joy. That is where we ultimately find fulfillment and hope is, is in his promise, could be we need to come to you and pray. Could be, God, we need to just ask you to reveal yourself to us in a new and fresh way. And it could be, God, we just need to bring a request to you, a specific thing happening that we just say, God, would you work in the only the way that you can? And God, in that, would you give us joy? So God, we give this time to you. We ask that you just move and work as you see fit. It's in Jesus' name, amen.